Welcome to the Nittany Gritty. I'm your host, John Sauber, uh, Penn State men's basketball and football beat writer for the Center Daily Times. We are brought to you by New Amendment, and I am joined, as always, by Penn State men's basketball legend, Tim Frazier. Tim, how you doing? What's going on, John? Different day, different dollar. Yeah, I, oh, I mean, I told you guys too much information before the podcast about how it's been re- recently, so we're <laughs> we're struggling through it at this point. Uh, been uh, been keeping up with all the travel and everything. Made that trip to Philly. Listen, I know I talked a lot about the Plestra on that last episode and how awesome it was. So shout out to uh, Penn State, uh, um, you know, the the SID and the the communications department. They actually had me courtside, uh, mm-hmm. and I never sat courtside before. And so I went and turned to talk to another beat writer, Nate Bauer, who I. I'm sure you remember when he yeah. back when he was at Rivals. Now he's at on three. Yeah. Uh, I turned to talk to Nate, and he couldn't hear me, and I couldn't hear Nate, and I couldn't hear anything, and like my ears were ringing for like 30 yeah. minutes because it was so loud in the first half. And there, that is, that's the best basketball environment I've ever been in, like mm-hmm. bar none. Like it was insane. Uh, and credit to the to the fans, it was like a, a pretty crazy Penn State crowd, which I think everyone was pretty much expecting, but. Mm-hmm. But man, I don't, you know, I know you you played Penn when you were there, so it's probably a little bit different environment. But yeah. that was cr- like it was it was like being in a high school gym, but where everyone actually cared, right? Where everyone mm-hmm. actually really wanted to be there and really had an investment in the game. Yeah, man, I wish I was able to be able to make that because I'm sure just being able in that environment. Obviously, I played in some some crazy great environments in in my day, especially being overseas now. Like the environments here and the games are. Are, are you know crazy you know as far as how much the fans truly cared like you mentioned about how much everybody had a basically had a part in the game like that's how it is over here in Greece right now is that if you believe when they have a part in the game it's like they're betting on the game honestly <laughs> that's how crazy they are so I'm I, I can only get that uh, that feeling that, I, that that's what you were able to experience and at the Palestra forgot besides the point of it being such a historic venue and you know Penn State playing the number one team and one of the number two team in the country yeah, and, and like they, Penn State in the first half, and we'll get to this in a little bit, came to play, and yeah. and the fans were like begging for a reason to care, right? Like they mm-hmm. were legitimately like any any made shot. Uh, there were there were two small children directly behind me who were like shrieking after every make, which <laughs> didn't make for a fun headache on the car ride home. But whatever, like the kids, they're having fun. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You want them to enjoy themselves. Uh, but it was it was it was awesome. Like and and you know you I. You know, the unbiased observer here, the outcome doesn't in- impact my job, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, that's all part of it. That was one of the coolest things. I hope Penn State keeps doing it. I hope they do it every single mm-hmm. year. I hope it's a big time opponent every year. I hope the game matters every year. Like that, that is not something like, as you know, you get in the Bryce Jordan Center because mm-hmm. I was there last night and it was like, oh man, this is what it's like to be able to hear yourself when you're covering a yeah. basketball game again. Yeah, of course. You're not going to get that at the Bryce Jordan Center, but. Don't no discredit to some of the fans when they do come and you know obviously it gets packed at the Bryce Jordan for certain games, but it's never that on top experience of like the fans being on top of you, which I'm sure you probably experienced in the palestra about how you can say like you can't hear the next person because when you're talking, um, you don't get that experience in a big and and in, in a Bryce Jordan center, but it's still a great environment. Still, you know when it, when it gets full and you know Penn State is rolling, it's still loud there too. But um, like you said, I hope they continue to keep doing that. Because that's something that, you know, we mentioned in the previous podcast that not only helps the team, but it also helps the recruiting angle as well for 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 guys in in Pennsylvania to be able to see that team in in, in Philadelphia play. Yeah, and there were some big names there, too, right? Like there were some 
some some recruits there. Like the, yeah. you had Kerry Booth, who's committed to Penn State. His dad, mm-hmm. Calvin, of course, the GM mm-hmm. of the Denver Nuggets. Brad Stevens is there, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, president of basketball ops with the Boston Celtics. So, like, you had some faces at mm-hmm. the pleasure. I think that's a credit to, like, Micah Shrewsbury and everything they've got going there. To what you said, though, about people sitting on top of you, you ever, like, you know how when you're, like, sitting somewhere and you just feel someone over your shoulder? It was two hours of that, right? Like, where I just yeah. felt like someone was, like, reading my laptop. And mm-hmm. mind you, admittedly, I was, like, I had the Eagles game streaming the end of it during <laughs> the first half of the game. Because you got to make sure the Eagles clinch that number one seed. But, like, you just could feel someone, like, right over top of you. And, like, I kept, like, turned around a little bit. And, like, there they were, like, eyes over top, like, staring down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it was – it's it's crazy. It's That's the best way to put it, though. Like, you feel like everything is, is on top of you. And, and there's genuinely nothing like that. John, did you see – that that I, that I was able to see them, and they for the preview of the game, they put something out on Instagram where they had guys narrate, and I thought that was the awesome. That was so awesome. They yeah. had guys, pre, uh, previous players, yeah. alum, alumni from Philadelphia narrate, like playing in that game, and they had you know one of my closest friends, Billy Oliver, do the do the piano in the background yes. do the tunes. That was the best part of it. Yes. Yes. I think that was so amazing. I don't know who got that. Who 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 was able to do that? Maybe Nick Colella. I don't know. But man, that was awesome to have those guys that have been that are born and raised in Philly narrate, and having somebody from Chatham, New Jersey, and that was these are all Penn State basketball alumni to be able to narrate and put that video together. Man, I thought that was so awesome. Man, I've always, honestly I was a little jealous that I wasn't that I wasn't a part of it. But then, hey, I'm from Texas and they're from Pennsylvania, I guess so, or up east. So I guess I I guess to see the reason why. Well, maybe maybe they'll play in Houston someday, and they can get you yeah, on the on the piano. You know, you can do yeah. some sort of instrumental of uh, of some music. But that that piano, uh, it was a dreams and nightmares, right? Like yes, that was yes, like yes. that was like one of the coolest things I've ever heard. Like I saw, you know, they they run the credits at the beginning. It's mm-hmm. like. Uh, you know, inst- uh, Dreams and Nightmares instrumental by Billy Oliver. And like, of course, yes. like as I've said before, like I was in high school when you played at Penn State and everything. Uh-huh. And I used to go to Penn State games and I was like, I haven't heard that name in like 10 years. And like suddenly yes, he's right. doing a, a piano instrumental of Dreams and Nightmares. It was a it was a really well done video, though. You you know oh, that okay. like that was that was all awesome. Uh, the environment cool. was awesome. Everything was awesome. Quick background story on Billy. Uh, we were roommates, and he used to he could play the guitar, he played the piano, he did a, so much, so many different things. He used to teach me the guitar and the piano some days, and and, and after practice, man. So I, I don't remember any of that stuff now. But then when I was there, man, he was I, so well rounded. Hold bro. on, hold on, hold on. We need. <laughs> no. I need proof. I no, need no. proof. I want video of you playing guitar. Mm-hmm. I want video of you on the keys. I want video of you doing something. You gotta listen. If you're not playing Dreams and Nightmares on the next one, then, then something's the problem. Uh uh-uh. uh. Shout out Billy Oliver though. Shout out Billy Oliver. Yeah, man. That was it. Was it was just one of those funny things where I saw that and like I was like, man, like I I haven't thought about that name in so long. Uh, mm-hmm. But there was also uh, a game that day, right? And yeah. let's dive into the X's and O's of that because it was it was a pretty important game, right? And uh, and. I think it's hard to talk about that game without also talking about this Indiana game that they played last night. We're mm-hmm. recording here Thursday afternoon um, because they're kind of, you know, uh, combined together, right? The outcomes mm-hmm. were dependent on the other, uh, so mm-hmm. to speak, right? The, um, the the game at the Palestra, Penn State ends up losing uh, a game that they led at the half, 37-31. They lose mm-hmm. 76-63, came out slow at halftime. Of course, what everyone is going to remember uh, is Micah Shrewsbury, Talking about the refs, coincidentally, when we put out our clip of us talking about how this team never gets called, right? Like that clip goes out the same day and then Micah lets him know, right? Like, and he puts out this, uh, 
this this long quote, and he, and he said it during the press conference. And I remember, so I was sitting there, and Mark Brennan of, of Lions 24-7 asked the question, like, it, it was phrased as something like, hey, you don't get texts very often. Did you have a point you were trying to get across when you did it? And then Micah starts by saying, I didn't have a point to get across. Then he pauses and he goes, I had a thousand points to get across. And I mm-hmm. immediately turned my phone around because I was recording. I turned my sure. phone around and got ready to tweet because I know something was coming. Like I was, <laughs> I was like something was going to be on the way. You know, he was going to be uh, delivering something there. And he did, right? And mm-hmm. and there were a few things in there that I think we need to talk about before we get into the game. Uh, have you ever heard of a ref not knowing the head coach's name? And like not pronouncing the head coach's name correctly? I, I have it, you know, and just, you know, it's very disappointing. You know what I mean? Obviously, I don't I don't remember, the, I don't know the ref's name or who it was, but I just think that's just very unprofessional to not understand what you're going into a job. It's like somebody coming into a job interview and not knowing the person that you're talking to, the boss or name, you know? And, and I think, especially in basketball, throughout coaches and referees and even coaches, players and referees and players, you... You want to be approached by name, name to name basis, because you guys are out there. For him to not to know the coach's name, which is very is, and I feel for for, for coaches, it's a slap in the face. Um, it shows that uh, the lack of respect for the team. It shows the lack of respect for him as well. And uh, I'm I'm and I'm glad he um, coach put, called him out on it. I mean, it should be known. It should be it should be known around the Big Ten. You should known that now. Hey, you could see. Hey, yeah, we talk about it each and every year about the d- disrespect that we get with the calls. But now we have the prime example of how. I, I'm not even necessary to cause that a referee doesn't even know my name or doesn't pronounce it right. Let him know my, my career, what I've done, even though I'm second year in the Big Ten of what I've done and the team that I have. This is a team right now fighting and we're not some just walk on walk over team. And we should we should gain respect. And we've been gaining respect. And it takes respect from everybody, not necessarily just the commissioner and everybody there. It's from the referees, from the fans, it's from the from the other teams as well. And and I'm glad he he spoke up on it because it needs to be said in, for everybody to hear and understand what's going on necessarily about us not getting calls, you know. And and besides the basketball piece, I think it's a, the biggest thing is just out of respect. Yeah, and I, I you nailed it. To me, that is like not – I'm a journalist, right? Mm-hmm. One of my main focuses is I always make sure – the biggest thing, the the main mistake you cannot make is in a story is you cannot spell someone's name incorrectly, right? Like right. Right. Because it's a respect thing. You show that yes. person the respect and the, the human decency to know their name and to know who they are. And to me, mispronouncing or not knowing someone's name is completely disrespectful – uh, especially like if someone tells me their name, like I'm saying it like 15 times in my head because I want to pronounce it how they want to pronounce it. I would, I like, I want to call people what they want to be called. Right. Like to right, me, that's right, the ultimate right. respect. Like no matter what, like there's mm-hmm. as an example, like there's a, a running back for the football team named Katron Allen. He goes by fat man. That's his nickname. And mm-hmm. I asked him, I was like, do you want me to call you Katron? Or do you want me to call you fat man? <laughs> he said, fat man, I'm gonna call him fat man. Right. Like that's, that's what he wants me to call him. You know what I mean? Like that's, <laughs> right. that's how I've always been. But to, like you said, second year in the big 10, he spent years with the Celtics and not just mm-hmm. second year in the Big Ten. Second year in the Big Ten is a head coach. He's been in the Big right. Ten before, right? Correct. With Purdue for years for two different stints. Uh, he had been with Butler. He's been with Brad Stevens everywhere. Like he's a well-known person. Mm-hmm. And to not know how to say his name and to repeatedly mispronounce or get his name incorrectly is it's completely disrespectful. Like it's right. the kind of thing that on a human to human level, like I have very little tolerance for because if maybe it happens once and then you apologize yes. and they tell right. you how to say it and, and it's all good. But this is a situation where your job is to be informed about the team that you're like your the teams that you're refing for, the teams that you're refing that game for. You need to know their names 
And as Micah said in the press conference, you should know how these team pl- these teams play, so you can be on the lookout for certain calls, the way they play. Like mm-hmm. uh, one of one of uh, Micah's, I think, biggest complaints was that Andrew Funk is getting grabbed every time he is he's right. like trying to make a back cut or they're trying to move him off the ball, and you can see it, right? Like it happened against Purdue a bunch. You go back and watch the TV copy. Funk goes to make a cut. You can see his shirt get pulled, right? You can see yeah. like the tightness in the shirt happen because mm-hmm. they're pulling him. They're not letting him get free. And I think those were the calls he was most upset about in that game specifically. But like it's it, the the respect thing is to me the biggest thing. They don't get respect like you said because of the stature of the program. That that stuff, like he said, like and whether it's right or wrong, it kind of happens in college basketball just mm-hmm. based on who you are, right? Like Tom Izzo gets those calls, uh, you know Matt Painter gets those calls. Micah doesn't yet. That is what it is. Right. But like the 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 not knowing his name to me is like the highest form of disrespect. Mm-hmm. And is I will be. I'm not saying this with with any inside information on this to be clear, but I will be curious to see the next time that Michigan crew officiates a Penn State game because, man, it is like it, it, it feels like there's a, a bridge that has to be mended for mm-hmm. whoever the ref was to come back and officiate a Penn State game because he completely disrespected him. And then Micah, rightfully, I would say, put him on blast in a press conference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He did. Like, again, you know, we both said it. He did it the right thing. I think he did it the correct way, too. You know, obviously, you know, I've been a since I've been there, you know, with the cellists from Chambers and, you know what I mean, from now now to Shrewsbury, everybody's come out and said, hey, we don't get the calls. We're going to fight and fight it too. We're going to try to get the calls, try to get the calls, and we don't get them. And at the end of the day, that isn't, that we're not making excuses. You know what I mean? Obviously, we, we lose games because we lose games. And, you know, obviously, some calls might go to different ways, but I think a lot of it is what we're asking. And I know I feel like coaches are asking is just a respect from bo- on both ways. And, and and that's all you ask him. Hey, if you call a call on one side, call a call on the other side. I think he said that in his press conference. That also, he was like, hey, we just want to call it fair. If you're going to call us, if you're going to call, you know what these two teams, if you're going to call it a certain way the first half, don't change the second half. It should be the same way throughout the whole game. And I, and, and I think that's what us as Penn State fans, Penn State alumni, coaches, yourself, I know you don't have a foot in it, but yourself, you're just asking for a fair, for it to be fair in both ways. You know, if if a team comes out and beats us, if they come out and beat us, they come out and beat us. But we want to have it, make sure that it's a fair fight for both guys because you know a lot of things. This is it's people's livelihoods; these are people's careers. And this, and you know, I mean, that could that if the game went a different way, you, that changes a lot for the program as well. And I, and so much into that, and I think that's all you want to ask is just for everybody to be fair. And you know, we honestly, and everybody knows. And you know, I'll, I'll be the first to say I know refs make mistakes and we make mistakes. But as as an understood understand your mistakes and limit those mistakes the same way as a player when you get on the court we're going to make mistakes but we want to limit our stakes mistakes as much as possible and that's all you can ask for and yeah i, I you know i may not have like a stake in the game but i'm a mm-hmm. basketball fan right and i, I, yeah, I you yeah. could you can go back find my tweets from when i covered indiana right like mm-hmm. this has been an issue for big 10 officials no matter where right like there's a there's a major inconsistency there um, you know, I have I want I too just want like call it the same way throughout. If you're going to call bad calls, call bad calls throughout. If you're going to call uh, no calls, do that throughout too. just yeah, yeah. just find a way to be consistent and do the same thing over and over again, because otherwise you're putting these guys in bad spots and they're trying to adjust mm-hmm. based on what you're calling. And then they adjust and then you start calling it a different way. And what are they supposed to do? Right. It puts mm-hmm. them between a rock and a hard place. Um, it's not fair to anyone. But like you said, it's a hard job. You said, you know, yeah. last episode, you would never want to do it. I wouldn't no, either, no, mostly because that's way too much cardio for me. But yeah. like it is it is still like it. all you're asking is you just want them to learn from the mistakes, right? I make mistakes. You make mistakes. Mm-hmm. 
the goal is to then learn and get better. And it doesn't always feel like that's the case with Big Ten officiating. Uh, there are there are plenty of officials in the Big Ten that are good. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. last night's crew did a really good job uh, for the Indiana game. Uh, but there are certain ones, and I, I don't want to mention any by name, that like you see them at the game and you're like, we're in for it. Like this right. is going to be a long one or this is right. going to be like <laughs> someone's going to get teed up in this one. Uh, and like, you know how it's going to go. Uh, but but the game itself, like Penn State also has this issue. And, and this was and this is why it's tough to talk about uh, that game without talking about last night, too. Yeah. Penn State had this issue of mm-hmm. coming out of the half really, really slow. Had leads yeah. against Michigan at the half, had a lead against Purdue at the half, lost both games because they couldn't hang, hang on. They came out sleepy. Michael was pretty fed up with it mm-hmm. after the Purdue game, right? They come out last night, and it's the exact opposite. They close out Indiana, win in a blowout victory. Uh, and and, and to, to Micah's credit, I think this was really impressive. After the game, he mentioned that he asked his players to be better, and I wrote about this last night. Uh, he asked his players to be better, but he asked himself to be better, right? He, he yeah. looked in the mirror, and he reflected on what he was doing, and he was talking about how he was living and dying with every moment and how he kind of can't do that. And mm. uh, he, he said, and it was pretty funny, he was laughing when he said it, that you know, his his wife and his his parents are in town, so his parents and his wife have seen it, and they were just like, hey, dum-dum, shut up and coach your team, right? Mm-hmm. Like, those were their words to him, according to him, right? Like, and that's like, and it's it's not easy to do that. It's not easy to self-reflect as a head coach. You're the yeah. guy in charge. No one kind of checks you, right? Like, no one is there to be like, hey, you're doing something wrong because you're the one dictating everything. And, yeah. and for him to make that adjustment personally, I thought was a, a really good sign for the future of the program. That being said, the on-the-court stuff uh, last night, Pretty drastic improvement from Sunday. Yeah, it was huge. And, and just to speak on that Shrewsbury thing is that's just very awesome to hear. You know what I mean? Because I think outside of basketball, outside of everything, that's just something that us as men we fall short of doing. And and you know I look at myself as well. Like we fall short of really just looking in the mirror and reflecting on the mistakes that we've made. And, you know we, we're quick to be like, well, you know what I mean. That wasn't my fault or no, you you know what I mean? We cooked to do that. And for him to be able to sit back and like, you know what? I'm the leader of these 18 to 21 year old, 22 year old kids. And they're looking for me, looking at me and I'm not perfect and I make mistakes. So I have to slow down. I have to understand and look at these and figure out what I can do to be better, to put these kids in a better situation or put them, put them with the best foot forward. So that was huge. Like you said, when we read that and it was huge. And you know what I mean? I'm very proud to him. I'm like, I got to do a better job of that. And I can't speak on you, but I'm sure, John, everybody has to do a better job at just literally just reflecting on the positives yeah, for sure. and, and the negatives that we do and how we dictate, you know what I mean, how we move on. But as far as the game goes, you just see it was a tell of two, two, two different games. It was like like literally one here and one there. Like obviously Penn State jumps on Purdue early in the first half, goes crazy. You know, the adrenaline's pumping. Uh, Pickett is telling Edie's too small, you know, in the post. Like, you know, little things like that in the first half. But then you kind of just see how. Seven foot four, Zach Edie, to be clear. Yeah, yeah. And you just see how that thing flips over in the second half. And you just, you know, Purdue there, you know, that's why they're a top 10 team and top five team in the country. They responded well um, and pulled out a win on the road. Uh, but then you look at nothing, Indiana game last night where these guys came out. And this is one of the fears, I think, of every Big Ten team. I think any team in the country when they come see Penn State, when you got the, when Penn State shoots the lights out like they did last night, it's, it's really no, no hope for anybody for two of those guys to make seven threes. You know, on top of you got Pickett doing his thing as well, man. And I, I think that if that if that's going on, man, there's no way you coming out with coming out of that with a W at Penn State. Yeah, and, and like the thing is, and people will point to, and, and some people will be like, "Oh, they got lucky from deep." 
Andrew Funk mm. took 12 threes. Uh, I think 11 of them were either open or wide open. Uh, yeah. Seth Lundy took 12 threes. And, and listen, a lot of those were contested, but with the way he shoots, they really weren't right. Like, cause right. he's never contested because he has mm-hmm. such a high release uh, and he can, you know, he, he goes to that step back a lot off the wonderful step back and, and he, you know, he can, he can get a shot off against anyone. And he's so almost unnervingly confident, right. That like, even like, you know, someone is like, I'm watching, I'm like, Oh man, why is he taking that shot? And then he knows it. I'm like, right. Cause it mm-hmm. doesn't matter that someone has a hand in his face. Cause he, it doesn't impact him. Um, and so those shots that some people will see is contested and be like, you can get those whenever you want. Why are you taking that? You know, it, 18 mm-hmm. seconds left in the shot clock or whatever it's like well because it's a good shot it's essentially for him an uncontested three uh you know and other guys have to work to get that but because he's so tall because he's so long because he has such a high release he's able to get that anywhere on the court uh, which is such a massive thing for penn state but yeah i mean you you nailed it with purdue right like they just uh they they were dead out of the half they they, mm-hmm. they looked kind of listless and to me the the turn afterward is so important to get to indiana to come out get the lead and i you know last night i'm sitting on press row and I'm just when they come out of halftime. Mike had said after the Purdue game that they were going to make some changes coming out of halftime uh, with drills to just, like, try and keep guys mentally engaged. Yeah. Uh, and they just basically did the drills that they do pregame, right? The same mm-hmm. drills that they do pregame. They did them out of the half. Nothing like overly intense, just like something to like kind of I, I think mentally get them back in that spot of where they are pregame when they come out so strong. And it worked, right? Like there was right. a, a little moment where like Indiana made a tiny push, but that's basketball. Yeah. Uh, and then Penn State closed them out from there. And and Seth Lundy said after the game, right, that that it helped guys stay mentally and physically ready, but loose, right? Like they mm-hmm. they knew what they needed to do. Uh, he also said that the the workouts the last couple of days were closer to summer workouts than in season workouts. To which Micah said, uh, "quote They're not that bad." In that same way, so uh, I, I, you know, that was a a very nice human moment again from Micah, which I think to go back to what we were saying earlier, like the humanity of Micah Shrewsbury right. is such as an, an enormous thing. I, you know, I I published a story on on Friday or Saturday morning, two thousand words of, in two months, which is a, a lot of time and too much time, quite <laughs> frankly, where I overthink things when I write. Uh, but it was it was a lot of like it was just getting to know him, and like that's what I learned about Micah during all of that. Right, is like who he is as a person, right? You sit down with him yeah. so much. You sit down with his wife. You talk to his kids. You talk to people that know him for a while. Like the humanity of Micah Shrewsbury is, is to me everything. And like, and that's why they were able to make that turn, right? Because Micah asked them to look in the, themselves in the mirror and then he looked in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know we said it once already, but you really can't, like that doesn't happen for college no. basketball coaches. It, it really just doesn't. And, and it's so impressive. But like you said, 18 made threes, that also helps. Ties yeah. the program record, which they set in the season opener this year against Winthrop. <laughs> so uh, this is this this like got them back on track. Like this is this is to me uh, last night was super necessary. They had to do it. But more importantly, uh, it can change things moving forward. Right. And and I think now is a good time then to get into the scouting report of what's to come. Uh, and, and what's to come is a game at Wisconsin. And I got to tell you, yeah. I've never played at Wisconsin. You have. It doesn't seem like a very fun place to play. Uh, it's definitely not one of my favorites, but I, they bring their fans out, and and, and they're huge. But they, they like when I know the teams have changed and different coaches now in Wisconsin, but they would stick to their script no matter what. Wisconsin's going to play Wisconsin basketball. When you walk in, it's going to be freezing because it's the icy hockey rink underneath, so it's cold, cold, cold. <laughs> the warm up's going to be cold. It feel like they don't turn the heat on until the game starts. And you just got to withstand everything because they're going to make a run. They always hit somebody. They always have some forward that's going to make a big time shot, big dunk somewhere. But you withstand that and be able to try to get the win in other ways. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. But we talked about the team and how, like, they're 3-3 three and three in conference. 
And I, you know, I know we I'm jumping a little ahead, but we predicted the nine, you know, ten that, that they would be fifty percent, or if not one or you know, one or above, and, and they're sticking to it. And I do I will say this is credit to different from the previous Penn State basketball teams, is usually when you lose those two games in a row, you kind of start going down, you know, going down a you know, a, a slope uh, of losses. And for them to bounce back how they did, you know, with good form in Indiana, a good Indiana team, I believe, is is it's huge to see how much the, the organization and the team is 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 upgrading and moving moving better because now hey we those losses don't mean anything yeah they mean something to us but we're moving on to the next game and we're going to go get that game that's the next game for us to get and we win that game and now we're back on track but i'm i'm, I'm excited to see what now yeah, and to what me, happens like, in wisconsin yeah and, and to me that's what like that's what changes this wisconsin game too right like yeah. because you're back on track, and you're mm-hmm. you're looking at potentially being 500 in Big Ten play. Now mm-hmm. you're, can, you can listen. You don't want to lose a road game mm-hmm. against uh, Wisconsin. You still have one home game to make up technically in the standings. We talked yeah. about this last time. Purdue was yep. technically a Penn State home game. Uh, mm-hmm. It will be interesting to see. By the way, a little uh, behind the scenes, they so the NCAA is still determining whether to count. Uh, last I checked, anyway, still determining whether to count that as a neutral game or a home game for Penn State. To me, it's pretty clearly a home game for Penn State. Penn State doesn't care either way. Like, it doesn't impact their net or their RPI, all that stuff, like the the tournament Mm -hmm. metrics. But if that counts as an away game for Purdue, that's a big deal. If it counts as a neutral game, that's a bigger deal because it drops it from, I think, from a quadrant one win to a quadrant two if it's neutral. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. To me, that's a home game for Penn State. That's neither here nor there. John, that's way over my head. You know, I... I, (laughs) Yeah, like, but, but still, like, like, listen, that was a Penn State crowd, right? Like, yeah, like, of course, of course. I'm talking about the I'm, quadrants I'm, we'll and all that type of stuff. Penn State crowd, Penn State home. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> we're here to say that back to what we said is all that matters. Ignore the yeah. numbers. What we said is matters. Matters. This is probably an NCAA tournament team. Uh, yes. But to get to that point, they need to make up that that home loss uh, at some mm-hmm. point. And you know, Wisconsin might not be the best place to do it, uh, as you said. It's cold. Uh, and then it gets colder and then it stays cold. And I, you know, you said they turned the heat on. Uh, I was there once. I don't think they do. I think they just let <laughs> it be cold. And I think, at, listen, as a guy who keeps his house at 64 degrees, and I'm sure that mm-hmm. will uh, startle people, I would love that. Like, that's ideal. Yeah. Uh, I may be wearing a beanie and a hoodie right now. It's because I want to. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> it is very nice for me to be cold. Uh, but but those those Wisconsin teams, uh, you're right. They always have a big that's going to get like a big dunk or some, you know, to mm-hmm. me, the, the, I, I was shocked when Brad Davison wasn't on the roster. I just kind of assumed he still would be uh, in mm. year 42 with the Wisconsin program, <laughs> but he's not. So that's at least a plus for Penn State. Yeah. Uh, they they do have, you know, some effective bigs and Stephen Crow and, and Tyler Wall. Wall, I think, is the guy that, that people should be looking out for. A big lefty. He's their leading scorer. Not a great shooter, but will try and take some shots from the mid-range. Will shoot from deep if he's open, um, but he's trying to get to his, his strong hand there the entire time. Uh, but but this is listen. Last year's matchup with Wisconsin on the road for Penn State, I think, finished at fifty to forty eight or something like that. Something that I watched from home and regretted watching. I had to right because it's my job. Mm. But it was one of those basketball games. It's like man, not getting those two hours back. Like that's mm-hmm. never coming back to me. Uh, but this year, I I think because of the way Penn State plays, you would you would hope that there's it's more entertaining, right? It's more up pace, mm-hmm. uh, more up tempo, I should say. Uh, but I do think this is probably not the game that they take back right like probably not the one uh where they you know make up for that that home loss uh again home loss in parentheses because it's or in in uh, quotation marks because it's you know it was at the pleasure and everything but 
listen, it's a chance though, right? Like, and this is this is what matters for Penn State. This is in you you have only so many of these opportunities left to make up that loss and right. they're good enough if they get hot from deep to beat anyone in the in the country uh wisconsin's no different and so fairly evenly matched uh ken palm has this as a fairly even game um i think it'll be a fairly even game i don't necessarily expect penn state to win but but man if they can get this one after turning things around uh you know before the indiana game and getting that game like that would to me that that puts this team kind of on a rocket ship you know, with yep. the trajectory and like really, really swinging upward with where things go from here. Yeah, I I think they can get it. I know I know it'll be a tough battle because anytime you, any team going in Wisconsin is a tough battle, but I think you can get it because I, I I'm, I'm very happy about how they responded from losing that game in Purdue. I mean, against Purdue and, and bouncing back and playing how they played against Indiana. Obviously, they shot the shit out of the ball, <laughs> but I think that can keep. Hopefully, and I'm and I'm hoping that that keeps and translates over when they get to Wisconsin. And right now, Wisconsin has lost two in a row, so they're going to be ready. You know, like you said, they probably had some of those summer workout practices, you know, for the last couple of days and, and, and getting ready for, for Penn State. So Penn State just has to be ready for that. Uh, you know, I mean, hopefully that shooting percentage keeps going on to the next game and they're able to still win on the road. Yeah, and and the, the big thing here is, too, Penn State has six days between mm-hmm. last night's game and this game because that game is until Tuesday. Yeah. Um, and so there's no... Uh, there's no like when you travel like they shouldn't be as tired they should be good to go right they they can plan that out as they need to. Uh, Wisconsin's going to be coming off a game against they so they play Indiana on Saturday, mm-hmm. which will be interesting to see right how both yep. of the teams' last games will be against Indiana so you can kind of directly compare how they performed and and where they're going and what they're doing. Um, you know it is it is going to be I think we'll have a lot of information I should say yeah. heading into that game about how we think it'll go and and how they're going to match up. Uh, but yeah, there's listen it's. I hate to keep saying this, but it really is like the kind of opportunity that it sets up well for them. Even if like, let's say Wisconsin were better than Wisconsin is. Let's say this was a game against, I don't know, like Gonzaga or something like mm-hmm, a non-conference mm-hmm. game. Penn state kind of has all the advantages going in, right? They have the days yep. off. They're coming off the win. Uh, Wisconsin's playing a couple of days before. Yes, it is at home for Wisconsin and that matters. Uh, but, but the other advantages like are in Penn state's favor and that, you know, Maybe maybe you tick up their chances based on that. Uh, I will say they do have uh, Wisconsin has a, a guard in Chucky Hepburn that I really enjoy watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is uh, a really good ball handler. They try to get him with the ball a lot. He's a, he's been a really good shooter this year after being pretty much an average shooter last year. Uh, he's one of those guys that you let him get going and then suddenly he's got twenty and I was like, uh oh, yeah. like like what happened? <laughs> like how is how is Penn State down like thirty seven to sixteen? What happened? And it's probably because Chucky Hepburn got hot, right mm-hmm. and. And so he's one of those guys that that I think you have to just sort of monitor and, and, and see what's going to happen. But listen, there to me, and, and maybe you know I I'd like to think I'm not biased, but to me, like they're pretty much all winnable for Penn State the rest of the way, yeah. except maybe that game at Mackey Arena against Purdue. That one is yeah, that one's going to be dicey because last I checked, Zach Eady's not getting any shorter, uh, which is a shame for all of the teams that have to face him. Uh, you know, but but the rest of the way, like there there aren't a ton here that you look at and are like, oh man, there's there's no chance for Penn State here. They're they're all winnable. Yeah, I I don't think as you saw last night against Indiana, if they can shoot like that, I think it's fear in all the other teams. Now, I don't think they want to play Penn State basketball when those guys are hitting threes. That means that it's more space for Pickett to get in a paint and and find and, and get to the basket, and then you got all these guys shooting threes. Like you know, what I mean, you got. Two a thousand point scores with Lundy and and Dredd, you know, and so and now and now you're talking about um, 
Funk as well and winner with the speed he has. Like I, I think the team is built. You know, obviously you talk about the things that we're missing is obviously with ED. We need that big, big man presence. But without that and those guys able to make threes, I mean, it kind of, you know, kind of just sweeps to not having a big man right now because I don't want to knock those freshmen. Is not having a big man right now, you kind of sweep them under the rug. You're able to hide them, hide them, and hide them, and hide them, and, and develop them until it's time for them to be able to become the stars that they need to be. But if those guys can keep hitting threes and Pickett keeps playing how he's playing, like you said, I mean, Pickett is top two, top three in all categories and rebounds, assists, points, you know, in the Big Ten, which is it's is crazy with the amount of competition and amount of players that are in the Big Ten right now. We talk about Edie and player of the year. And, you know, what I mean, we talk about Pickett as well right underneath him. You know, so it's, it's crazy to see that. But I don't think any team wants to play Penn State when they are able to make shots. I think everybody wants those off nights and, you know, where they missing shots. But when those guys can make shots, I don't think anybody wants to play them. Yeah, and, and I think you'll know when Penn State takes the next, next step as a program uh, mm-hmm. because they'll play one of these good teams and they'll have an off-night shooting and then they'll win anyways. Right? Yeah. Like that'll be when when you know like sort of what it, it's taken that next step. What's crazy, you mentioned the the 1,000-point scores. They get Seth and, and uh, Miles this year have hit it. Mm-hmm. Cam is a 1,000-point scorer. Funk mm-hmm. is a thousand point score and pick mm-hmm. is a thousand point score. Only two other team in the countries, I believe. Uh, shout out to Daniel Gallon of Lions twenty four seven. Him and I were talking about this last night, and he found yeah. this. There are only two other teams in the country that have five thousand point scores, and it's San Diego and UAB. Right? Like mm-hmm. this is that's not that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like it just doesn't happen. Um, and so I think like it's a testament to the longevity that these guys have, but also I think to the sense of urgency that they need to have. Because yeah. they're not getting any younger, they're not getting mm-hmm. extra years of eligibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as much as Micah Shrewsbury would like to like to get them, he always joked last year that he was going to petition for what felt like a fiftieth year of John Hara playing basketball for Penn State. <laughs> but uh, you know, and he would joke that he wanted the the media to sign the petition, he wanted everyone to sign the petition because he wanted to make sure he could bring him back. Uh, that's not going to happen, right? Like you just don't have that. So I do think this is an important one, uh, but I do think it's also I don't want to call it losable because that's not the right phrasing, but it is one you can lose and it doesn't really change much unless like something mm-hmm. catastrophic happens that's always possible but it's not something that i would expect but but let's move to the word on campus here i think at this point that is all about micah right like this is all about and, and we talked about this a little bit earlier it's all about who he is as a person right and, yeah. and who he he has shown himself to be because you and, and i want to talk about this because I've, I've covered plenty of college basketball coaches some of them and college football coaches too uh, some of them are not easy to interact with, right? Some of them uh, lack that level of humanity, that level of empathy. And I mentioned that that massive story that I wrote, and you can find that at SunnyDaily.com. Like, it is it is jarring to me almost that how like human he is, and, and to the point that his wife Molly, whose voice is in the story, she quote tweeted the story and everything, and was like said she was crying reading about it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I have confirmed through Micah that that she was crying true. while reading the story in the morning on Saturday. Yeah, so mm-hmm. <laughs> so like I made her cry. So I apologize, Molly, for making you cry. But like it is, and and there wasn't anything like overly emotional in the story, right? But it is to me like the fact that she has that level of empathy, right? Like it's so important for both of them. It's not just Micah to be clear, because like all of these basketball programs. Like, it's not just Greg Gard at Wisconsin. It's not just Tom Izzo at Michigan State. It's their families, too, right? They're in it. And yeah. the whole story is about, like, how it's his family doing this together and everything. And, mm-hmm. like, to me, like, Micah being that human, I'm sure it makes him easier to root for for fans. But from my perspective, it makes him easier to work with. It makes him easier to communicate with. It makes him easier to understand, which I, I think some people don't realize, like, 
it's then easier for me to, when I do those stories, like you can get a better view of who he is then because he's good at communicating who he is. Uh, and my favorite quote, other than when he mentioned that he was a house dad at a frat when he was at DePaul, which was a very, very funny thought uh, to have because he was a, when, that was back when he was a GA there. Uh, but but my favorite quote was like he basically just said, like, I don't have time to be anyone else. Right. He's like, I'm me and that's not going to change. And to like talk about confidence, right? Confidence in yourself and what you believe, like to be so confident in who you are, to be willing to say that. And and when what's funny, there was no like people can say that and someone could push back and be like, oh, this is like, you know, how arrogant or whatever. Like, no, it was all like, yeah, it's who he is. Like no one, mm-hmm. no one said a negative word about Micah. You do these stories and you want to tell both sides of it. I tried. No one was going to say anything negative about about Micah. And like, again, I, I hate to, uh, you know, continue to glow about someone because it's my job to cover him and everyone, everything. But like, I really, Penn State should cherish him while they have them. I, I'll say that because it seems like he is, uh, sort of a once in a generation head coach from an X's known standpoint and from a who he is as a person standpoint. And I know you've dealt with a lot of coaches, and I'm sure you have some that stand out that are very human and also very mm-hmm. not human. Yep. And when you deal with someone who is very human, I think it's it's so refreshing. You hit it right on the edge, John. Everything you said about what you want in a coach is someone that's that's human. You know, man, we're not above you. He's not above you. You know, we're on the same level. We're we're going through this through this fight together, um, and that's huge. And that's and you and I, I I had a brief stint where I was able to be under Micah in Boston when I when I came out of Penn State and I went undrafted. I went to camp with Boston and he was still there, and I really appreciated him and and some of the other coaches there because even though I had a long shot to make the team, that they still treated me as if I was, you know on the team and you know you get to those some sometimes in situations where the guys you just hey we're just filling out a roster and you kind of you kind of get left in the dust but no coach was Shrewsbury was always there hey Tim come on just get in this drill let's do this let's do that and he had me with everybody else you know at the time it was Avery uh, Rondo was still there Phil Pressy and you know I'm speaking on guards and and he always kept me in kept me in the loop and made sure I was in a loop and I always appreciate that because at the end of the day, it showed me what I needed to do, how I needed to to work, you know, at the, on top of what I had already known. But he gave me the opportunity and he treated me like I was one of them, you know. And at the time, I, you know, I was still, like I said, I was a long shot of making a team. And, you know, I went to the G League and did my thing from in Maine. But I appreciate that 100%. But you keep talking about the humility that he has and he is who he is. He's not going to change for anybody. and and I And I respect that. And it's not necessarily being a cocky person. I am who I am. I ain't changing for nobody. But it's the humbleness of being. Hey, you know what? I've 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 been raised by my parents the right way. I've I've been through struggles. I've learned from my struggles. I've fallen. I've stood. I've got up. And I've been in so many different situations. And I've learned from so many different people. You think about where he's come from and all the other coaches that he's been underneath. And how much he's learned and the knowledge that he's soaked in. That you know, what I mean, he has the right to be able to say, you know what? Hey. I am I am who I am, and I'm gonna stay who and stay true to who I am, and I'm always gonna be that person. And at the end of the day, hey, I can only be myself as you as you wrote. And his family, phenomenal. His kids, phenomenal. His wife as well. Uh, obviously, I you know I've only met him. It's only a brief stint, you know, when I was in Boston, but they were always around. And you can't speak nothing but great things about the guy. You know what I mean? And, and as you said, like. That should be the topic of, <laughs> in, in Happy Valley right now. You can't like football's over. 
basketball is now and what what Shrewsbury is doing right now, what the type of person he is, man, we should be speaking on that on top of, you know, what he's gotten his players to be able to do so far in the Big Ten and in and, and, and in the season. Yeah, and, and, you know, you mentioned his kids always being around. They still are, right? Like, yeah. and Brayden's going to be on the roster next year. It's crazy. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. it's always been about family for him. He made that very clear. I think that's part of why, like, Molly was crying, right? They're, they're like, high school sweethearts, uh, which is something it, – it's funny. When I when I interviewed her for the story, uh, it was supposed to be a 30-minute interview. Uh, but her and Micah were high school sweethearts, and me and my wife were high school sweethearts. Mm-hmm. And so, like – there's a certain level of uh, perspective you get when you're like that, right? Because you watch someone grow up, right? You you see them grow. So yeah. she has a more unique view than anyone could possibly have, right? Because they've been through everything mm-hmm. together. Um, and, and so to hear her talk about him in such a glowing way, and like, she, you know, she would, uh, you know, people make jokes about their spouses all the time. And like, and, you know, she mm-hmm. threw like, there were jokes, but they were never like the, oh, he does this and I hate this, right? Like it was yeah, like, yeah. It, it was all like everything is so positive about their whole family, mm-hmm. right? Like everything right, is, right. and n- nothing's perfect. I'm not like trying to say it's like the perfect family or whatever. Nothing ever is. But like they really like the care he has for his family, I think is special. And from from what we can see and, and the way he cares for his players is the same. Because mm-hmm. like you said, and you know, like I, like I had that story, like, he just doesn't have the time to change. When I sat down and talked to him for this, because I like to think I'm the same way, right? Like I'm just kind of who I am. And part of that mm. for me, as I told him, was like, it's just too hard to be anything else. Like I'm lazy. Like that's a lot of effort <laughs> to try and like fake something for like, even if yeah. whether it's on this podcast or whether I'm like talking to my my editor for a story or I'm talking to you off the pod, like mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of effort, man, to, yeah. to be something else. Like I just don't, mm-hmm. I'm just lazy. It's way easier to do this. And he's like, yeah, man, it's just hard. Like I was like, why would you yeah. do that? Like it's just, it's putting more effort in than necessary. But, but no, I think it like, it all goes back to, uh, to him that all of this, this whole season, all of this goes back to him. Uh, you know, I think, like I said, who knows how long he'll be at Penn state. That was one of the things, uh, in the story. I, I actually asked him like, what's the plan? Like, cause you, you gotta be up front, right? And you, maybe that's not the easiest question to ask, but like, you gotta ask. And he said, he's happy. Right. And like, yeah. sometimes for a guy like that, that's all you really need. Uh, which yeah. I, I think, you know, was, was really, really interesting, but I think that's a good place to wrap it today. Uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at, at John Sauber, where you can find all those stories. You can find Tim on Twitter at, 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 at TimPhrase23. You can find this podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Beyond the Big Ten. Ten spelled out the numeral one zero, and on YouTube at Beyond Big Ten again. Ten spelled out one zero. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Have a great day. Beyond the Big Ten is a network of podcasts that aims to be your go-to resource for all things Big Ten. We cover the entire conference with shows hosted by ex-players and athletic alumni, aiming to be your go-to source of information and entertainment for your favorite team. Hosted by ex-Big Ten players, media, and insiders, our podcasts are focused on giving diehard fans and those alums an inside scoop about the teams and people that make the Big Ten Conference one of the most watched and most talked about conferences in sports. We're excited to talk Big Ten basketball with you wherever you may be. Subscribe now.